beautiful lady here with me called Debbie West. And it's, we're doing this interview, stroke conversation, as a way of showcasing thriving widows. And it's an opportunity for another beautiful lady to share her journey, the ups and downs of this journey, and to encourage you also. Do like our podcast. This will be podcast 98 when it comes out. Actually, sorry, it will be 99. But do comment on our podcast. Leave, leave your reviews. For coaching and resources, find me at businessandmarriagecoaching.co.uk. Do we look forward to your comments and there's an opportunity to subscribe to the website, to the podcast as well. So I'll introduce Debbie. Debbie West is also a surviving widow. She's from California. She's a writer, published author, and her book is entitled As Is. It's recently been published, so I will put it in the summary notes of how you can get purchase the book. We look forward to you buying it. She's right. She writes on this in this issue on dating in mid midlife. So with no further ado, I'm going to pass you on to Debbie. So Debbie, you're welcome. It's lovely to have you here. And tell us a bit about yourself. What makes you so unique? Unique. Oh well, thank you, Amy, for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I don't know that I am super unique in that I married my high school sweetheart. I'd known him since I was seven and he was 11. We met at his parents' party. Our parents worked together. And then we had 32 years together until he he passed away from cancer in 2013. Um, I was really devastated because he and I had led very isolated lives. We both had small, well, he, my family is very small. His not so much. We were very antisocial. So when he died, I was really isolated. And what I did have to do was kind of create a new life. So I think what makes me a bit unique is that I I was in such a poor position to try to make a life on my own. I'd gone from my father's home to living with who was the you know George, who was my husband. And then suddenly I was alone and I was 50 and I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was so very isolated. So how did you find your way? What was your, what would you say was your biggest challenge when it lo- when the loss happened? I know you've mentioned it, the isolation, but how did you find your way through the isolation to where yeah, you I think are? The, I At think least the biggest challenge, yeah. I think the hardest thing was to get up off the couch mm-hmm. and go out the door and meet with people. Um, I'm a former lawyer. So doing the estate planning and all that stuff, you know, dealing with the estate, dealing with paperwork, all that I could do. But yeah. it was hard to start venturing out of the house and sort of functioning like a single person. Um, you know, I joined a bunch of groups, a car club, even though I'm not much of a driver, the Rotary Club, which in U.S. is sort of a service organization. But it's kind of I'm a little conservative and older And then um, eventually I got into writing because I'd always loved that. And I'd been taking a writing class. And from there, I started to make friends and have a writing group and and ultimately start working on getting articles published and writing a book. So the hardest thing was really to say, okay, I am going to go out the door and I'm going to meet people. And if it's awful, I'm going to have to still congratulate myself for trying. Of course. So how long would you say it took you to come out of the door? 
I'm asking well, this for the benefit of our audience or so someone who's in that position. So how, how long would you say it actually took you to face the world, come off, come out of the isolation practically? How long would you say? About four months. I would say it took about four months because the first things I was doing was trying to get the paperwork together. I'm sure a lot of widows relate to that. Just so much stuff to do. The house was falling apart. It had so much deferred maintenance because we we'd had a cancer patient, you know, in there for years so that we hadn't. And so it was about four months before I decided to just start getting out there and just going to things, even if it was as simple as just making sure to go to yoga class and go to the, you know, go the next day, talk to the same people. And then about 11 months after, yeah, no, about 14 months after I lost George, that's my husband, George. Um, I started dating. I went online and decided it was, it was time. Very brave. So can I ask you, uh, so that means I, I pick up from the contents of what you said so far that you cared for George. Did you, were you, did you care for him before he passed away? How I did. How long were you Wow. How long were you doing that for? That was really hard, Amy. He was diagnosed in 2009 uh, with oh. metastasized male breast cancer and we had some good years, but in the fall of 2012, he started to decline. It was inevitable. Um, yes, I'm yes. Metastasized, right? So he, uh, I, I really was like a, you know, a, a really like a hardcore caregiver, you know, really trying to deal with that for, um, let's see, seven months, eight months, you know, and it was really hard. He was in denial which was another piece that made it very difficult. So he thought he was recovering oh. even as he was, he was dying and it was inevitable. He wouldn't involve his parents, which was very sad. He wouldn't let us get the help we needed. He, you know, ignored things like palliative care or hospice care. Oh. He didn't believe he needed them. So that was really the hardest part. I think I could have dealt maybe with the fact that he was dying, but since he didn't, wouldn't acknowledge it and we didn't get outside help, I felt like I was going a little crazy, you know, doing this on my own. Yes, yes. I can't even begin to imagine that. Wow. So that means that would have reinforced your isolation as well. Very much so. I mean, he worked up until the end. He was a workaholic. God bless him. So he worked till the end, but we didn't have friends and he wasn't trying to do end of life things like, say, spend more time with his parents, you know, which yes. I thought he should have. Yes. Yeah. So was he an only child, if I may ask you? Was he an only yes. child? Yes, wow. he is. He was an only child, and, and so am I. But yeah, he was an only child. And it's still kind of devastating um, just to see the way he shut his parents out. And I was I was very conflicted because he wouldn't let me talk to them. And every day I was like, we've got to, you know, you've got to tell your mom. They've got to have the chance to spend time with you. And I needed help. And, you know, they had a bigger home. I know they would have wanted to move him in there so they could have spent time with him, but he didn't want to do that. So, so was there a change in his personality, would you say, since within that period of caring? That was really hard. You're right. There was because he just worked and he was acting like everything was fine. But at the same time, you know, he'd gone from walking to a cane, to a walker, to a wheelchair, to oxygen tanks. And trust me, I was, you know, I was up every night with this thing. It's called a nebulizer. You break ammonia into it so they could breathe. Yeah. So I was super sleep deprived. I mean, his personality was hard because I couldn't talk to him. We'd always been best friends about the one thing I wanted to talk to him about, which was that his illness. And that was something he wouldn't talk about. 
And I was getting kind of crazy and angry because it was, I didn't know what to do on my own. I couldn't involve his parents. Um, he so wasn't, you, you know. That's you know. amazing. So how did you manage your mental health? Did you actually have conversations privately with friends on the phone or not? Not so much. I was pretty isolated. I'm very close oh. to my dad. Uh, my mom died young and I was really close to my dad and my stepmom. And they were having health issues then, but I could talk to them. I would go visit them. Mm. They lived really near and I would talk to my dad and my stepmom and they kind of were preparing me, I think, for the worst. I think my dad kind of knew. And he, I think he hoped yes, that I yes. could accept it. But he's very, very strong. And he mm. he helped me to to get through it. And then, you know, you kind of do what you have to do, right? I mean, mm. the time passes. So I felt like I was doing everything wrong. But at the same time, we were getting George out of bed and taking care of his various Needs, conditions. Yes, yes. That's amazing. Wow. You're very, it's just amazing. I'm really, really um, inspired by what you're saying. It takes a lot of courage, you know, especially when you do the caring and the fact that you know the eventuality and you're doing it more or less in isolation. That it takes a lot of, um, you know, because some people can't do that. They break away. I kind of wanted to, and I did get angry. I was yelling. I wished I hadn't. I had really bad hives, so I was on prednisone, which does bad things to your personality. It's yeah. it's like you're really amped. So I was not not great to be around, but you know, I mean, I I well, did what I could. His, well, the impact of his illness couldn't have helped you at all. I mean, you know, especially with the fact I wanted, he basically wanted to be in control, didn't he? That's why he yes. didn't want external help. Yeah. You're right. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to do his work. He didn't want people to know he was ill. He worked remotely. Nobody, when he died, he'd been working up until the weekend before and nobody could knew that he was, you know, on the brink of death, essentially. They were pretty surprised. But, you know, he, I guess he was kind of a control freak. He was an engineer. And I think his efforts to protect me and handle it by himself then kind of morphed into this denial. Yeah, it's amazing. That's such amazing. Because I've been here, I've worked in mental health for over 25 years, so I can mm. understand a lot of what you're saying, you know, And but I can never understand the fact you were actually in that situation. I can only empathize and try to relate to my experience in the field. But you're, it's amazing that your, your mental health is still intact because, you know, some people can break down from that. My mental health was not terrific. I'll be honest. I got in a bad relationship too soon with uh, someone who was his caregiver, who was a lot, who's a bit younger than I was, and that that wasn't a success. But I, I really was having trouble with just days on end alone. You know, first yes. he was dying, and then I was alone. Mm -hmm. so, and then I got grief counseling, and that helped. Counseling mm -hmm. is good. So, how long did you have the grief counseling for? If I ask, mm, probably. Mm, Maybe about seven or eight months after he died or six okay. months, okay. you know, maybe four, five. Unfortunately, I had a wonderful therapist, but she retired. And then in the, within the system, I didn't really find anybody else I related to. But I, you know, I think, you know, if you work in mental health, you know, part of that is that connection. Yeah, of course, it has to be. There has to be, definitely. Yes. But it's, it's so lovely when you can fit, when they fit with someone, you know, when you can fit. Okay, let's go into our questions. I'm going to stare you a bit away from that okay. now and it's going to focus more on you okay but can you can you mention one interesting thing that you've discovered about yourself since your loss one thing you've um, discovered 
I really enjoy talking to people. Mm. You know, I thought I was pretty antisocial and I thought I really didn't enjoy people. And I like to be home with books and I'm still not, you know, I'm not a night person. I'm a homebody, but I discovered I really like talking to folks. I'm doing, you know, some podcasts for the book. I love that. I was happy to go to things and discover most people were really nice. And that was, that was kind of nice. I felt like the world wasn't this hostile thing. I sort of thought it was. So that was positive. So that's interesting. So where would you say that came from? The unconscious hostile world perception? Well, I'm, my mom died when I was 10. Yes, and yes. Um, I was bullied in, in junior high and high wow. school. Mm. Yeah, that's ugly. That's and, you know, when I was, I'm older. So when I was bullied, that wasn't a thing. You know, it was more like, fuck up. Just let, don't just ignore those girls. You know, people yes, didn't take yes. that stuff seriously. And then I was a lawyer. And I worked at a firm that was, people are mean. Lawyers are mean. I, mean, I didn't really fit in there. You know, so by the time I left, it was like, okay, I don't, I don't fit in, in, the, in the real corporate world. Yeah, so yeah. I sort of felt like I didn't kind of fit in anywhere. And it's amazing. So basically, you're, you're basically a people's person. You really enjoy, yeah, I pick it up from you. You're quite at ease. That's amazing, isn't it? So, so kind of, yeah, I think it's lovely to be to love people because I think part of our humanity is to always connect with other people. We can't, we don't thrive alone. I don't think, you know, anyway. I agree. Yeah. So could you mention three solutions you've solved for yourself since being a widow? Three. Yeah. Three. three solutions. Solutions. Yeah. Sure. Um, three things that worked for me. One yeah. is definitely joining groups. You know, when you're alone and it's hard and you don't have a set person to call, yeah. it's really helpful to join some groups. Okay. I discovered that with, I really got into hiking and I joined a hiking group and it was terrific because these people meet the same, a lot of the same people on weekends, your weekend days are full, you're exercising, yeah. it's beautiful, it's outside. And yeah. you don't have to worry that you have one friend who's going to let you down or something, you know, you can just join this group and it's going to be there. So joining groups was super helpful to making friends as a grown-up. Yeah. Um, another solution for me, it's kind of similar, but my late husband, George, he didn't want to travel at all, and he didn't want to leave leave the United States. He traveled a lot with his parents. And again, I so I sort of put some things together with, a, it's called University of California, where I live, university alumni stuff. And I yes, with yeah. that, with a group, I could travel. So I discovered that if I wanted to, and pandemic is difficult, but at the time. Yeah. And then... I think all my solutions are kind of similar. Um, when I wanted to be a better writer, and I was writing my book, I went back to school and got a master's degree in f of fine arts and writing. Good so, for you. Yep, that's brilliant. Yeah. So that was a really great solution for me in terms of like opening the door and meeting people, you know, a lot of younger people, people who had different perspectives on the world. Um, you know, I thought I was fairly left wing until I met some of the kids in my MFA classes, you know, <laughs> so that was a solution for me in terms of being a better writer and also just trying to do something that was a little different, something outside my comfort zone and outside, you know, middle aged suburban lady zone. You know? That's brilliant. It's amazing. OK, so the next thing I've got to ask you is what does faith mean to you? And how has this helped your journey through grief and recovery? That's interesting. I, 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 I'm not necessarily a person of faith. I am not. But 
what's interesting is my partner now for four and a half years, his name is Randall. He is a person of faith and he believes in the universe and universal goodness. And um, he even believes in astrology, which is not faith, but that's a different issue. But he sort of believes in the good. And it's been really helpful for me to be with someone who is optimistic and does believe in a good in the power of the universe and health. Mm-hmm. So for me, faith is something I'm approaching and I see it more abstractly, but it mm-hmm. does help me to see kind of a universal good. Like mm-hmm. when I was widowed and I'd met some people, some weren't so nice, but a lot of people were really good, you know, and, and things sometimes happened um, where I felt like I had somebody looking out for me. Yes, yes, yes. That's interesting because I've heard people say that they even though they don't believe they don't have a specific faith because I come from a Christian faith mm-hmm. and I always hear people who do not even say they're Christians. They would say when they look back on their journey, especially when we're hurt or being a widow, you know, when we have major challenges that there was something definitely guiding them along the way, you know, that's amazing. Thank you for that. So one thing I ask a lot of widows when they come on is, what do you think is the biggest challenge a widow faces in your part of the world? Hmm. Well, California, I mean, we have a reputation for shallowness here, and that's somewhat true. Um, you know, <laughs> I've heard that before, that's why I'm laughing, but I don't agree. <laughs> but yeah, go on. Yeah, we have that. I would say... Some of the, I would say the, the biggest, two biggest challenges, and they're kind of related to me, is definitely if, you know, some women, widows are happy to be single, I mean, to be widowed, to not try to date again. You know, they had that part of their lives that's over, or they prefer to, to live on their own. But if you want to date, it's pretty horrible. Um, at our age, I think a lot of California men are kind of jerks. I don't know if maybe it's okay. better in England, but you get people who don't have very good manners and... Okay who aren't real respectful and we have kind of a cook, a hookup culture that middle-aged men have adopted. And I don't really understand that. And then the other thing I would say is the patriarchy, which maybe all women we get is somehow a woman on her own reviewed as less than, or less than intelligent or not, not so capable of making great decisions. You know, I had so many men I would meet were like, well, you should do this or you should do that. Or this, it's like, and I was like, hey, I'm a lawyer. I'm a homeowner. I've handled my life fine. You know, yeah. where the heck is all this this advice and this mansplaining come from? I always say it's being patronized as a woman on your own. Because just because we are doesn't mean we're not super, ca- yeah, super capable. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. So would you say it's also about ageism as well? Like when, yeah. Because I found like, because dating is another big area I cover a lot in my writing or when I talk on podcasts, because um, I, I know in the, the developed world, as I call it, age is a big thing. Like may you hit 50. If you lose your employment, it is longer to find work, even on the dating scene, even when you're on the dating scene online or off, you know, men are fishing for younger women. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just find it's very important to know what you want and just be a confident. But I've always believed, I believe in dating after loss. I say it on my platforms and no matter how long it's going to take. I mean, I have dated since, since my loss, you know, and it was a lovely relationship, but that's another story. That's for another time. 
but um i still keep my heart open to love again because i believe in relationships i don't really think i want to be alone to it and i don't really believe in this thing about being 50 or whatever and that's your life because a lot of women feel because they're 50 as well their lives are over what are your thoughts on that some people do in some cultures you know from 50 they feel so. what are your what do you think about that 50 oh, 50 is great I mean if I oh, hadn't been widowed you know I would have I mean I wouldn't have entered out but I discovered at 50 you know with hiking I mean I discovered I was a lot more physical you know physical endurance power than yeah, I thought yeah, I did yeah. I felt like I looked better in some ways mm. because I was more confident you know I was beautiful as a young girl but mm. I didn't appreciate I didn't know what I was always putting myself down at 50, I was just kind of like, this is what I look like. And that's fine. You know, I was much more accepting of myself. And I was started to be much better at saying what I wanted to say, instead of always worrying that I was offending people. Um, I'd gotten out of law, which was a career I did not enjoy. So I think 50 is actually can be a really wonderful time you can make. I mean, I think there's a group of women who are at our at 50 and older you get people, women who are, their kids are older. So you have more time for, for friends, for yeah, activities yeah, yeah. and everything is, is almost more beautiful. I mean, being widowed is terrible, mm. but one thing it did help me to do was see more beauty in the world because I still wanted to be alive. Mm. And that was something I had to decide very consciously when I was isolated. Mm. So yeah, I think 50 is a great time to wake up and say, well, what do you want to do? Or even just mm, look how beautiful so. things are. Yes, definitely. And that's one of my taglines, dare to dream greater. Because oh, yeah. I found, although being a widow is not obviously terrible, it's not easy. But I always believed there was something about me losing my husband that created an awakening, a different awakening in me. And I think it's the element of your, it makes, it made me more aware of my mortality as well. And appreciating that life is just too short. You know, you grab it. I had that part of me before, but I had it more so due to my loss as well. Thank you for that. All right, I'm going to go on to the next question. Okay. Um, can you mention one initiative that could at least ease your journey, ease this challenge of being a widow? One thing you've done that's easy. You've mentioned a, a lot of things, actually, but perhaps there's anything else that you would recommend that would ease the journey? Because... With this podcast, I tend to, because the focus is on dreaming greater, I try to encourage women. I don't like, I don't, I, I let people talk about the loss, but I encourage more about the positive side because it's to encourage people. So when I ask you that question, I'm thinking of oh, what other things could people do? So people might be recently widowed. They might even now be in the fourth year of, widow, of being a widow and now want to start dating, change their career, pick up of their jobs. So within that context, what else would you say you did? You did do, you did do, you went back to school, you went to learn, which was, you started writing, you joined a group. What about, one thing that I find is confidence. How were you, what, was it joining and connecting with others that built your confidence after the isolation, would you say? You know, I just could go out in the world and have a reasonably good time and connect with people and have good conversations. And that was enough. Again, I'm a homebody. I don't do a ton. I did try. I'd never left again, the United States when my husband died because he hadn't wanted to travel. And I did take some trips. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big traveler, but you know, I ventured out. And I think 
what was helpful for me was to think of some things I wanted to do, even if it was something small, but to get them done, to do them yeah. is, is very helpful. Even if it was something silly, like take this yeah. really hard yoga class. But, you know, from there, you get other people in the class. You get community. You see people you're happy to see. You know, I was kind of bummed about this book stuff and just some stuff with it this morning. And I went to this hard yoga class and there's these great women there and we're chatting and, you know, we're, we're, we're physically, we're working out, we're strong. Yes, yes. And that's very positive. So I, I think really just finding some things you like to do and doing them in a social mm-hmm. setting. Yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Okay, the next question is, would you say you found a greater purpose out of your loss? Good question. I never could find a terrific purpose. I mean, when I was a younger, you know, I went to law school and I was a lawyer and that was more of a purpose to be self-supporting, to be independent, yes. to have a life with my husband. Um, since my loss, you know, I'm kind of, I take a view, I'm probably pretty California here, but lately I'm sort of like, be still, do less. You know, yeah. I think people run around like nuts and they've got, they're so overscheduled. I think the pandemic changed that. That's not me. I don't find that, but what I, two things from my loss I did find was one, um, to try to enjoy myself more. I I mean, to say, do you like this life? Do you like your days? Is this okay? Is this working? Because I realized later, you know, the house I lived in, my husband had picked, I wasn't that crazy about it. I moved, you know, last year, it was a good refuge. Um, You know, certain things I did, I didn't love. And I said, okay, you don't, you know, you don't have, you don't have to do that. So, yeah, for me, that the purpose was to enjoy life, to want to be alive, to feel alive. And then I would also say just write in the book, because that was a huge challenge. And it, and I wrote it to try to help. I think it helps. I hope it helps widows to help other widows who maybe went through some of the things I did not exact, but what it's like to date at 50 when you've only been with your husband or what it's like to venture out when you're used to having a very set kind of life. You know, what it's like to try to take little steps forward to a new, something bigger. Mm, Thank you. So now we're going to go into what you tend to write about. And the question is, your views on dating. And what is it like to be dating again in your 50s as a 50-year-old? Well, it was originally awful, unfortunately. But part of that was I was so inexperienced. I hadn't dated since 1980 when I was 17. So I didn't know, understand that, you know, the dating of my youth was sort of gone. And a lot of the men were so disillusioned and so depressed. And they didn't expect to find love, whereas I did, because I'd had love before. I was actually much more optimistic and upbeat than most of the men I was meeting, they'd been through failed relationships, they'd had this divorce, their wife had taken the dog, then things failed. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to I relate to that. God, yeah. You know, yeah. I want to have a good time again. Yes. You know, I want to find joy. So I mean, it's, it's kind of terrible. But by the time I was done, I could figure out ways to make it faster, at least. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. well, Sorry, what I wanted to say that I can I can relate to is what I found on my journey so far is that when there's a lot of divorced men out there, yeah, yeah. and in, in my part of the world, m- many of the divorced men, they've actually lost a lot because if their children were of a certain age, they, there's a tendency for the, the spouse to have got 
the house and everything. So it's like they're starting afresh. Yeah. Then number two, whilst if the person was a widower, obviously they own everything is left to them. Am I making sense? Yes. And then it, and then in my faith, I had to understand because as a person of faith in Christ, as a Christian, I had to understand what it means to really go out with a person who is a divorcee. Because there's mm. different faith in my faith that say, you know, because sometimes there's a bit in the Bible that talks about if you go out with someone who's divorced, you actually the Bible doesn't encourage being divorced, but there's different mm. reasons obviously you're being divorced. But the main one is if there was adultery, if there was unfaithfulness. So that means, so, but it was quite a bit confusing because out there there's a lot of divorced men, you know, and it's like, and then if you, in terms of being younger, when you dated last, there wasn't all that baggage. But now it's like people have so much baggage and it's like, is it best to be, I was reading one of your blogs to this evening about mm. is it best to have a friend than to be dating, you know, like want a lover because is it easier? So I to return it. I put the question again to you. I know you're seeing someone, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. You, yeah? So how was that? How did you find the person? I mean, obviously, you don't have to go into too much detail, but what was different this time to the the other ones that were not so good? Well, you know, this one, we've been together four and a half years. Yes. Um, and we moved in together last year. Yeah. And he was divorced, but he was upbeat. He was a cheerful, happy person, which was rare. I didn't see a lot of baggage. When mm. we met, we were both going through difficult times. I just had a really bad, awful breakup. And his mother had passed the year before. And we decided to try to be friends yes. and to cheer each other up. So we hung out together. And he was the first guy I'd met, you know, who had old-fashioned manners and old-fashioned values. Because I'm old-fashioned. Mm that way. Yes, I don't yes, want yes. to rush into things. Um, I'd felt pressured by other men. You know, we went on our first trip and we got separate rooms so that we yes. could just, you know, have a, have a trip together. He read all my blogs yes. and he was chivalrous. He picked me up. He was charming and he was happy. So I yes, was, and, yes. and again, he had the manners, the, the style. Yes. I don't want to say style because that's trivial, but so much of what I was missing and all these guys, like, they don't care, you know, meet me at this bar at midnight. It's like, sorry, I don't go out at midnight. I don't go to yes. bars like that by myself. I just don't, yes, you know, and yes. it, it was nice to meet somebody who was like, oh, and he read all my writing and he was like, I want to do better. I want to show you that you can have you know, a good time and be happy again. Yes, yes, yes. It's very important. It's very, it's very positive to meet positive people, but I still believe there are good people out there. As you see, they, not everyone is bad. And no. but it is important. Having gone through the loss you go through, you want to meet someone who is optimistic, hopeful mm -hmm. for the future, and has sorted out their past as well, resolved a lot of demons of the past, and so on. And I think um, one could say with loss, you just know what you want this time, isn't it? It's like you you're given a second chance. I I loving again. I agree. I mean, my late husband, he didn't like, you know, he was a workaholic, which is disappointing. And I'd always had thought, well, you know, he, when he died, he was 53, that he would retire and we would travel and we would do that, have more time together, which I don't think was realistic. I think he would have worked like crazy. So when I was looking, you know, when I was dating this time, you know, I, I did want someone who had more of a capacity for joy. You know, I like to sit in a cafe or have a drink and sit outside mm -hmm. and people watch. And I wanted, 
And I love the water. I love being on the beach. So I really wanted someone who had that kind of capacity for joy and can put work aside and say, well, this is our time. And this is really important, too, because our time on Earth, as we know, is finite. So so being together and having joy together and doing things we like is also a really high priority. It's very, very important because I just found like I couldn't because my late husband was very he was self-employed. He was into computers and IT specialists. But when he was relaxed, he was relaxed. Whilst some people I've met, it's like because of their loss in whatever they lost in their previous life financially, they were just focusing on making money. It's like they had so much to prove. And that wasn't healthy as well. Whilst I, because I've worked in the field of mental, I appreciate being able to relax and so on and so forth, not just chasing life, chasing money, it's too much. Anyway, thank you for that. I can relate. There's a lot of things you said to that I can relate to. So what role does intention play in the grief recovery journey? What would you say to people listening? Intention. Is it something? Because I've heard people say they're not doing this. They can't do this. They're going to be like this forever. Hmm. But then I say you have to make a decision at some point to say, I want to start doing this. So what would you say? Intention. Intention, I would say, is very important, but it should be realistic. You know, when I was widowed, first widowed, people were like, oh, well, you have the house. You could go travel for a year, go to India, go to an ashram, go do this. I could barely get out the front door and get to the grocery store without crying. But, you know, but I think it was important to have for your intention to be realistic. And you can but I think it's important to 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 look at your recovery at some point when you're, you know, when you're far enough along with some intention as to what do you want? You know, what's the hardest thing? What can you do to make that better? Mm-hmm. And what little steps can you take? You know, people look at intention, I think sometimes is like, I'm intending to be a best-selling author, or I'm intending to get remarried. Yes. But I think what's, what's easy, what makes sense more is to say, okay, I intend to write for an hour a day, mm-hmm. or I intend to go online and respond to, you know, three messages that look good or, or, you know, pick, pick small steps. That's That's how I got through law school and all kinds of things that look big. Or, you know, I just moved from my house of almost 30 years last year. So what helps is just to, to say, okay, this is going to get done. And then to pick small things and do them, you know, definitely, definitely. So the message is little steps. Because when you mm-hmm. talk about intention, people think you're saying you need to get over the grief. And no, you could still Mm-mm. be intent and continue to recover. But the main thing is you're taking little steps and little milestones every day to strengthen your grief journey. Exactly. Okay. All right. And so make I've it got... a little better. Exactly. And make it a little better. You know, you can make it. I mean, at first I didn't see it, but later, you know, you can make your grief journey a bit better. You you have that agency. Yes, yeah. And the intent also includes you have the choice of who you want around you and who you don't want to stay around you. So if you have people who are not happy or negative or toxic, you don't you don't need to have them. You can choose what you listen to and what you don't want to listen to. And that's the advantage of being single as well. Because while you're recovering before you start dating, you start to recover, you discover what you really want. Because in relationships, there are times when we do compromise. We do have to compromise. Sometimes we compromise more than we have to. While I was coming out of loss, I found anyway, 
that you start to decide what you want more of and what you want less of. So to round up, um, it's been lovely having you. It's been a really amazing <laughs> conversation. So to round up tonight, what would be one thing you think the widows listening tonight would benefit from our conversation tonight? What do you think they should take away? Or what are you giving them as a gift to conclude? Um, what I would want to give them as a gift is to be gentle with themselves. I think it's I think in the intentionality is so important and taking the small steps forward. But I also think we judge ourselves. You know, when I my husband died, I felt a lot of shame at how isolated I had been. I felt kind of embarrassed that I was taking these baby steps forward to make connections. And I think with this book now, I, I have, you know, I judge myself. Well, I should be doing more. It should be. And I think it would be so much better if we keep the intent, but also treat ourselves with more love and treat ourselves like a best friend instead of this thing that we judge so harshly. So I would say if we could just start by being really gentle with ourselves on our journeys and reward ourselves, you know, with flowers or cupcakes or something when we do something good and not trash ourselves when things aren't working. I would, I would say to, to be treat ourselves with the kind of love and kindness we would show another grieving person. Better words with words of wisdom, truly spoken. So we're going to finish tonight. Thank you very much. It was short and sweet. We're very specific. Yeah. I loved the conversation. So we're, yeah, it was nice meeting Debbie. I'm going to sign off again. This is Yemi Majekodumi from Widow Recovery Secrets. At least, even if it's just one soul that gains something from this conversation tonight, that is fine. But please, dare to dream greater. If you need coaching or resources, my books, you go to businessandmarriagecoaching.co.uk. Please leave us a review. It helps other people and encourages others to use this tool as a self-help gift to them or to others. Share, download. Thank you. Signing off now. There's always hope after loss. If Debbie can do it and I can do it, you can do it. Thank you very much.